is the Creative Coaching Podcast with Mike Lopez, where we showcase coaches, leaders, influencers, journeys, and experiences so you can be inspired and work to get better every day. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Coach 47, on IG at Creative Coaching Podcast, listen on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, rate and review. We'd really appreciate that. So here we go. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, I want to present a conversation I had with the Rising Coaches co-founder and CEO, Adam Gordon, and Dr. Marcus Bright, a senior advisor for the Rising Coaches DEI uh, Alliance. And we just, you know, we got together, talked about equality and inclusion, that conversation that needs to still be had in society and in, and in basketball, for sure, from the coaching perspective. And so uh, just listen, learn. Uh, hope you're inspired by what these two men are doing uh, with the Rising Coaches Group and with the collective group uh, uh, that's built around the DEI Alliance as well. So here again, I hope you enjoy it and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. Thanks for having us, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Adam Gordon, uh, Dr. Marcus Bright, I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, you know, for the for the focus of the Rising Coaches Equity and Inclusion Night campaign, you know, uh, part of the DEI alliance that you guys have built through Rising Coaches has been phenomenal. I mean, the groups that have come together, uh, and I'll just name some of them, but there's about 12 Coaches for Change, Asian Coaches, Coaches Association, uh, Women of Coaching, the Jewish Coaching Association, and so on and so forth. I could name the rest, but this alliance is really impactful. And I think here again, we're meeting right now, we're talking right now to keep the conversation going. Where in some cases it seems to have kind of lightened up and I don't want to say died down because it hasn't gone anywhere, but let's kind of revive it if, if you will. Uh, and, and, and specifically through what you guys just, the campaign you guys just had, with the uh, uh, equity and inclusion night campaign. I just kind of want you, Adam, to, to start us off and kind of go through what Rising Coaches is doing through that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, obviously we started this DEI Alliance in the wake of, of the murder of George Floyd and we were doing, and Mike, you were on a lot of these calls, but we were doing these social justice roundtables, and, yeah. and Marcus was on them and, and we would have, I mean, hundreds of coaches on it, yeah. you know, and all these other groups, some of them that you just mentioned, Coaches for Action, Coaches for Change, all these groups started popping up, and it was amazing. You know, it really was a amazing time to be a part of, Yeah, you know, that activism within the coaching industry. And, you know, probably just the best thing that I, <laughs> the smartest thing I've, do, I've done is just like, hey, let's get these groups together under one under one roof and, like, you know, put all of our collective networks and, and brain power together and see what we can accomplish. Yeah. Um, and then the other part of that is just that like most of those groups are led by, by coaches. And, and obviously I got out of coaching a few years ago. And so just the bandwidth that rising coaches has during the season is a little bit more. And so, you know, when, when we formed the DEI Alliance, it was just like, Hey, let's, let's get together, figure out what we want to do. And then we can help carry the torch during the season for yeah. you guys. Um, and 
and it was really, you know, it, it was really positive and powerful. Uh, and we've done several initiatives. Well, first of all, the, the mission of the, of the organization is to impact change for equality in our profession and then in our communities. Yeah. And we kind of spent the first year really focusing on the profession and we, we did a few different initiatives. We had a women's empowerment series, um, which was great. Uh, we had an intro to coaching conference, which was a free event, creating a pathway for student athletes to, to get a career in athletics. Uh, and that was extremely successful. And then, then we had our next uh, head coaching initiative um, where we tried to um, take 12 finalists that were nominated by our membership organizations and uh, we put them, paired them with the search firm executive and took them through a, a mock interview. And, and, and that was great. I think 30% of our participants in that went on to get head coaching jobs. Wow. Um, so we were doing, we felt really good about the impact we were having in, in the coaching profession, but we, we really wanted to, you know, Marcus does a great job talking about this we really wanted to leverage sports to kind of impact the communities and can we impact these fan bases and, and these boosters and everybody involved with the university. And so, you know, that's kind of where quality and inclusion I came from, you know, just, I, we looked at what Co coaches versus cancer does and they're so successful and have been doing it for so long and have raised so much money in the fight against cancer through a simple campaign. You know, it's just, it's an idea, it's a concept, and they give it to these schools and let them run with it. And that was really, you know, the idea behind Equality and Inclusion Night. Yeah, so like your VP of men's basketball, the Brian Burton, uh, shout out real quick to him. He, you know, is kind of giving me some insight on the equal pin and how a lot of programs, yeah, some even some high major programs who were involved with that yo uh, dr bright do you want to talk about that a little bit how that kind of uh kind of took off and the 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 involvement from some of these programs that maybe at first you thought well maybe they may be apprehensive but they jumped on in yeah the response has really been remarkable just now as we speak today over 120 colleges and universities have partnered and have publicly pledged their partnership with the DEI Alliance, they, they've worn the pins, they've, they've dressed uh, in black to, to symbolize unity. Many of them, uh, like Quinnipiac University, have actually extended it into an entire equity week. I was wow. at the University of Minnesota women's basketball game. They had videos of players speaking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the, in the context of Black History Month. We saw institutions like Georgia Tech honor a lot of their uh, former trailblazing athletes. And so university, colleges and universities and athletic departments have really uh, taken this by storm and, uh, and, and expanded it even further. And, and I think that uh, I mean, it, the response has been, has been overwhelming. I'm, I'm blown away as someone who's taught at five universities and understands the, uh, you know, what, what can be a very, um, they can be very reticent to act on certain things yeah. and for them to, and for them to, to come out full throttle, uh, I mean, talking about Harvard, Yale, Penn, Howard University, I mean, you, you name it, wow. uh, and, and geographically across the country. I mean, everywhere from North, North Dakota State to Eastern Washington to Florida International, 
And so it's a broad spectrum. And I think that and it, it sets the standard for an organizing base to move forward and to, uh, to, to have a connectivity in terms of really impacting issues both within athletics, but then also in the broader uh, social context. Right, because you're speaking to the point of athletics usually is kind of, well, for those of us who've coached, right, or played, we know that athletics has this kind of this, is this microcosm of life. And so in a, in a, in a world where we can all get along and have equal opportunity and hope for equality of outcome as well, to a degree, uh, why couldn't we have that on a larger scale as far as societal? And so I think that's, you know, I, I, I love everything you're giving, you know, as far as you're talking about the 120 programs uh, regionally where they're at from across this, the country, like that's big time. That's not something to just kind of pass on by and, and treat like, yeah, that was nice, but what's next? No, there, 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 it is now it's, it's right now. And it's something that I think when it, when it comes to applying pressure, we're talking about, you're talking about institutions and, and colleges and universities, presidents, ADs, coaches, players, you know, it starts at the top. And when we want to see these changes, that's where we, ha- that's where we have to go to the stakeholders, all stakeholders involved, even to the parents as well of these players. So I think, yeah, you know, I'm looking at the, the, the imprint that you're kind of painting for me and it seems really impactful. So I would ask you, Dr. Bright, because you've, you've taken time to, to study and research you know, these areas of society, how do you, when we look at kind of, uh, I'm a minority coach, right? Uh, for minority coaches in particular, and uh, those have, that come alongside us, uh, you know, to, to lock arms with us and say, hey, we're, we're in the fight and the struggle with you. How can they continue and we continue to apply pressure in the diversity, equity, inclusion space? I think that we continue to build on the momentum. This is an example of an idea that can be expanded through partnership, through collaboration across the country. And so if if one, if you're a coach that's listening or uh, an interested individual that's listening, you can have an idea. Uh, and if you believe in it, you now have an alliance of people, of organizations, of institutions, of teams that can work with you to create the climate uh, for your idea to come to fruition. And so, uh, and so I think that uh, if, if this campaign has done anything, it is to uh, create an atmosphere, an environment for change to happen. And even for student athletes and coaches to, you know, to, to, to have a win beneath their, their, their back if they want to stand for certain issues, if they want to utilize the sports platform, and, and many of them have a tremendous platform, even statewide or region region wide, they can really, really make an impact. We were, I was uh, Thursday with the University of Minnesota women's basketball team. And until just recently, I guess St. Thomas became division one. This was the only division one athletic program in the entire state has the hearts and minds of the people of Minnesota represents the state. And they announced it. They said representing the state of Minnesota of the golden <laughs> Gophers. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, and, and two of the players, and at the same time, he had a funeral across town, same day of Amir Locke, who was killed on a no, on a, um, on a no-knock warrant, which is uh, one of the components of several pieces of legislation that is up uh, both at the local and, and national level. And uh, two of the players, you know, wrote a letter 
uh, of support to the family. They had a moment of silence at the game. Um, they, you know, they, you know that. So, so you just have the potential, but that environment without the environment being created for that to happen, it's easy to just get locked into, uh, you know, locked into only athletics, and uh, the athletic platform can be can be powerful, but it can also be short. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meaning that it can it can end with your eligibility to that extent mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of being able to perform, you know, on that particular stage, and so. I know, I know I played four years of college basketball. I never had one conversation about social justice or any, anything, uh, yeah. you know, related to it. And so just, uh, you just have to tip my hat to, to, again, all of these coaches, all of these institutions, uh, all of these administrators who have taken this on voluntarily. You know, this is not, you would, with, with, the, with, the, with the level of participation, you would think that this came from the NCAA mm-hmm. as a mandate. Yeah, yeah. So this was, these, these were coaches and People who voluntarily took it on and, and ran with it, and uh, and and I believe that let's let's use this momentum to collectively uh, impact some real change in athletics and in our communities. And I, and then that's why I'm glad we're doing this because the national conversation needs to keep happening. Um, I'm sure there's been some some changes in how universities and institutions operate because we see it at the NBA level for sure, right? Uh, but I think here again, the NCAA, the pressure they're feeling now uh, and how th- even the NFL, things like that, we're seeing still that impact that needs to be had. And so I, I'm, I'm everything you're talking about, the, the initiatives that we talked about earlier, super important to providing a platform for coaches that feel like they're supported because as a, as a college coach, you feel like you're on an island anyways. You never know when you're going to get that call into the office because it's going to happen. And they say, well, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, good luck moving forward. And that provi- that provides kind of this, uh, I don't know, like you said, the atmosphere. If the atmosphere is changing in these uh, auditoriums, these gyms, these locker rooms, these, uh, you know, offices where presidents and ADs are making decisions, then, man, there's a conversation to be had still there's still light that needs to be shined on this subject. And so great stuff. Now, Adam, I would ask you because I know rising coaches does so much and we're hearing about the impact with, with this campaign. Do you feel, because I know in the past, everything I've observed from rising coaches for the last, however many years is that you guys have the pulse of the everyday college coach. And I say everyday college coach, cause not every college coach has their platform on, you know, uh, ESPN or Fox Sports Network on a Saturday morning or whatever. But do you feel in this space right now, uh, you guys have the pulse of really what college coaches are thinking, uh, some institutions and some programs are, are really needing to happen? Yeah, I think so. You know, like that that's the thing that I think, you know, separates rising coaches, I believe, is that it's an organization like we all coached, you know, like, we weren't just some company that started and trying to sell the coaches and figuring out how to appeal to them. Like everybody in our organization coaches basketball. And so, yeah, I do. I do think that that, you know, just, just from the familiarity of it uh, and living it every day kind of sets us apart. But like you alluded to um, in the intro, uh, you know, we sat on those social justice round tables after the killing of George Floyd and, 
there was so much momentum and activism. And we said, you know, we can't let this die down. We got to keep this going. And I did feel like it started to, you know, it was the height of the pandemic. You know, everyone was locked in their house. And as things went back to normal and college basketball came back, you know, people get caught up in their, in their everyday routines and they're caught up with their team. And, you know, we just, honestly, I really thought somebody would have done like a national, I, I kept waiting for like the NCAA or the NBC to, and they do a great job, but I kept waiting for them to do something in 2021 around this. Yeah. And I never saw it. And, and there were some, there were some other small groups that did something similar to this, a racism game, which is great. This game is no secret. We can't have enough of it. But when there was nothing on the national level, you know, I, I remember being in a meeting with, with, uh, with our group with Brian Burton and Daryl Jacobs and Kim Hampton. And I was like, guys, like, we're not going to sit back and wait another year. Like, we're just going to do this. And, um, we're just going to trust that it's going to, it's going to take off and, and, you know, God willing it, it has. That's awesome. And that's kind of how you build platforms is you're not interested in the, I guess, I don't know, the, the acceptance, uh, when you know you're doing the right thing you're not interested in kind of getting everybody's like pat on the back. Like, yeah, do it. Cause some people will pat you on the back just to watch you fail and, uh, and talk about you later and say, wow, I wonder where they got the support for that. <laughs> and here again, creating platforms for coaches, changing atmospheres, initiatives, all these things you, you guys are talking about says to me here again, as a minority coach and other minority coaches should kind of, you know, their ears need to perk up to these things and these opportunities and take advantage of them as well. Even if things aren't looking like they're changing right away uh, to invest in themselves even more than ever, because that's going to be very important in the future for their future. And I think we're all well aware of that, but you know, we hear about intentionality and thoughtfulness and all these things that matter now, especially when it comes to how we operate uh, with our teams and, and with young people because of the pandemic, because of social injustice, because all those things that we talked about that happened uh, during these meetings we were having on Zoom, it was just like this passion came out. It subsided a little bit, but it's still there to be sure. You, 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 something else comes, comes about, believe me, that passion's coming right back out and probably two, you know, twice as much. And so uh, here again, continuing the conversations, continuing to bring these things to light is so super important. And I'm glad here again, uh, Adam, when you talk about kind of what you guys did and how you just saw a platform needed to be created and you did it because that's how most good things turn into great things. Uh, good ideas turn into great ideas when, when people just kind of go for it and when they know they're doing the right thing. So that's great. Now, hey, go ahead. And Mike, can I, can I just add real quick? Um, you know, the other thing that I, that I've noticed is like, you know, a lot of times coaches are hesitant to, to upset the apple cart. You know, there's such a competitive profession and coaches don't feel all the way comfortable speaking out and standing up for things. And, and that's the other part of this campaign is, you know, like Marcus said, we're creating the climate, we're raising the level of social, social consciousness so that coaches do feel empowered to speak out yeah. for the right things. And, and, you know, let's be real too. A lot of uh, coaches, and, and you know, this is the back, college basketball is predominantly minority 
student athletes. Mm-hmm. And you've got a lot of coaches making a career, you know, off the off the talent of of minority athletes. And and so like this is the least you know this is the least they could do is yeah. is speak out for diversity. Yeah, I mean if if we want to be real real about it, you know. Yeah, it's the very least that they can do. Uh, wearing a t-shirt, dressing in all black, wearing a pin, that's where it would, it could start, but it definitely doesn't end there for, for a lot of people who would say, okay, we'll kind of pacify this movement. Uh, and I think the hardest part too, sometimes for people is just, you, you talk about the profession and how kind of the business, as far as that's concerned, is kind of tricky the competitiveness and all that. You don't want to make a move that seems too political that seems apolitical when the time is to step up and do something. So like, there's always that. Right. And so I think like you're saying, uh, coaches can feel empowered to know that there's others supporting them. There's others with the same plight and the same movement and the same, maybe even disdain for how things are going, uh, that they can speak out. So that's great. Now, Dr. Bright, I want to ask you a question about a paradigm shift within the system. Do you feel like with here again, institutions, presidents, ADs, all these people who make these decisions and hire people and fire people, do you feel like there's been a a significant paradigm shift on how they provide equal opportunity in regards to here again, hiring and firing? I would not say that a significant paradigm shift has happened yet, but we are setting the stage with laying the foundation uh, for, for that to happen. And um, I want to, you know, also give kudos to Adam uh, for having a vision, believing in it, for investing in it, for going all in, and uh, for building. And, and, and obviously, Kim Hampton and Brian Burton and Daryl Jacobs and Aaron Sinat, uh, who really, you know, helped to will, will it, and many others who helped to will it into existence. But this is, in my belief, you know, I have a, I spent many years with the uh, you know, modern civil rights movement uh, in terms of running the education arm of the National Action Network. I've seen, you know, how traditional civil rights organizations, even the Dr. King were organized through the churches or maybe through, through labor unions or, or other groups, but never seen it done before in college sports. And that's why I think that this is, this is an unprecedented campaign, grassroots campaign. Yeah. And, um, um, that is unique in its own sense because it's because it's grassroots. You know, we weren't on uh, CNN or or, or a first first take or uh, mm-hmm. whatever the show Skip Bayless is on or whatever yeah. saying we calling for this. But this was a grassroots campaign, and uh, those who are at the grassroots level, like Adam, you know, they you you all you all have your foot on the pulse, especially with within the profession in terms of where. Uh, where the gatekeepers are, you know, where, what, what are uh, some of the specific uh, parts of the profession that are blocking people's trajectory and creating an uneven playing field, you know, in yeah. sports uh, the, uh, during the game, uh, the rules are clear. It's your ability against my ability, uh, your execution against mine, but it's, but that's where uh, the equality in terms of opportunity and access uh, ends a lot of times. So I think that, the coaches know where the barriers are, the barriers in terms of getting into the field, in terms of uh, moving up and elevating into the field, and not just, uh, but not just coaches, but certainly even more so, even more so, 
athletic administrations, such as athletic directors and and those that are in the upper echelon of uh, of that movement. So there there are significant barriers that it's going to take time to break down. But I think that uh, through you know through the insights of those that are on the ground and and us and rising coaches in the DEI line, giving them a platform to be able to to voice their concerns, to be able to voice some of their solutions and uh and 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 we can gain and if you have a if you have a particular solution or there's something that's that's uh, that's a real barrier in terms of people's advancement or uh people not getting an equitable shot uh you know in the profession then then uh you know this is a platform and a network that we can really make some some seismic policy changes yeah you know i i, I i've never seen a voluntary a voluntary grassroots effort on sport and at the, you know, in sports at this level around, you know, these social justice related topics. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, I haven't seen it. I think it's it's laying the foundation uh, for some great things to come because uh, it it came quicker than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) It came quicker than we thought, uh, but it's here. Yeah. And, and I think here again, we're talking about people who are so influential. Coaches are so influential. They're to me. I mean, I know we have social media influencers and you know uh, TikTok, YouTube, all these platforms. But in like you're talking about the grassroots of it, man, coaches are so influential around the country, around the world, even. And I think if coaches feel empowered, they can come to realize their true identity and what they're doing as well. Because there, there's a lot that stems from that. When you know who you are and you know what, I guess, influence and power you wield, uh, then you feel you're not the ant anymore. You're not the beat up ant. Like, you know, you can do something. And I think that's here again, you're talking about grassroots initiatives like this, that when they solidify the foundation, by the time it gets to first take with Stephen A, it can't be brought down by them. It can only be enhanced. Uh, because that's the problem with a lot of movements. Once they get the hype right away, they're easily brought down because they didn't have a strong foundation. And and, on, and then on the opposite end, on this, you have a strong foundation. Therefore, no one can 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 bring you up to a level too high, and definitely nobody can tear you down because it's it's already been solidified. So that's great. That's what I'm taking from all this, man. And then I, and here again, appreciate the way you know you guys are going about this because. Uh, you know, in the, in the college world, or the high school world, when you hear grassroots, it's kind of like, uh, you think about AAU's type <laughs> stuff. And if they took that approach about being a solid foundation, it, it'd be a lot better ones, but that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, so yeah, I, 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 I want to ask you, Adam, in particular, to kind of talk about what y'all, what y'all are planning or uh, in doing as far as like with athletic programs, uh, student athletes and families, like how are you guys looking to uh, impact that space in particular, as far as with initiatives, programs, uh, education, I- anything like that, because I'm in the education uh, field as well. And we talk all the time about educational equity, about resources, about all these things. What are you guys doing to impact uh, the athletic programs who, who have even participated with you all in this uh, campaign? Yeah, I appreciate you asking because again, th- this is a great, you know, the Equality Inclusion Night wearing the pin is a great gesture, and it's the first step, but it's certainly not the last, like you said. Um, And so we're following it up. You know, we talked, we had a lot of internal debate about, like, what we wanted to focus on with inequality. 
and you know dr bright is, is definitely the most educated in this field and, and he really influenced us to focus on economic inclusion and economic empowerment um and uh, you know, so that's, that's the area that we decided to go. And so what we're doing is we're following up with some on-campus seminars for student athletes. Um, and we're bringing in experts from fields like cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and social media influencers, people that, that uh, are able to generate multiple revenue streams using social media and using their platform to come in and teach these student athletes about it, because that's, that's the future of our economy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just where our world's going. Yeah. And that's the type of stuff that, you know, isn't taught in school, but that's the type of stuff that can level the playing field. And so I got to give a lot of credit to, to Dr. Bright for pushing us in that direction, because I think, I think we can have a huge impact with that. And we're, we're actually starting it next month. We're doing a little Miami swing. We're doing Florida international, uh, followed up by Barry university. And kudos to them for being the, the the first ones to pull the trigger and invite us into their athletic department. Um, but yeah, very excited to help with that initiative. Yeah, that's great. You know, I was having a conversation probably about, I, I forget when the final four was last year in San Antonio, but I was having a conversation with the high major assistant and he was like, you know, I'd love to start something along the lines of what you're talking about. But I think there was a lot of red tape. There was a lot of apprehension because things were still good then. Nobody was hurting to a degree. It seemed like, you know, all was well, except maybe for the players getting juiced for their name, image, and likeness. But that here again, that's I think that's been kind of rectified to a degree. Or maybe that's a whole other, you know, rabbit trail we can go down. But he, he, he expressed to me, you know, the things he wanted to do and had a passion for it. And and it seemed like, well, what, what stops you? You know, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm thinking, what stops you? You have influence. You're at a major university. You guys have, you have, a, your head coach is well known, nationally known. What's the deal? And I guess at the end of the day, it just comes down to like getting it done. And you guys seem to be getting mm-hmm. it done uh, and not here again, needing anybody's approval, just kind of locking arms and getting it done. So, Dr. Bright, I want to ask you on along those lines, where do you feel you can have or rising coaches, all of you can have the greatest impact when it comes to here again, educating athletes, educating families, providing opportunities and resources for them? What do you feel is kind of the the main goal that can lead to a a whole plethora of other uh, things to come? Well, I think the I think there are a couple of buckets. I think certainly the, the student athlete empowerment that Adam spoke of is is is, is very key. I think uh, education about policy issues, and particularly uh, that are within one's own own state, either where the institution is located or uh, or the player's hometown. So if you're if you're playing basketball in Mississippi, but you're from Chicago then you, you can be connected and you're passionate about a certain social issue. I mean, you can be connected with like with uh, other athletes at other institutions or even uh, at your own, both here, both in your state or in your hometown and be able to potentially leverage that as did uh, the Mississippi State running back Kylan Hill a few years ago 
and he said, I'm transferring if you all don't change this Confederate flag in the state flag. Mm-hmm. And within a number of days, uh, the flag was changed. And uh, one of the coaches, ironically, was uh, who spoke at the press conference was Kermit Davis, the University of Mississippi head men's basketball coach. We got a chance to speak with him. Uh, I guess it was last week. I've been on the move since so Tuesday of last week. Mm-hmm. And he told, a, he told a, an interesting story. He said that his father, he's from the Starkville, Mississippi area, played on the 1959 Mississippi State team with 24 and 1 during the regular season. They thought they may have wow. a chance to win the national championship. Yeah. And Governor Ross Barnett did not allow them to play the NCAA tournament because wow. the tournament had black had black players in it. And wow. so it's just uh coming full circle that he was able to uh play a play a big role in, the, in changing the state flag, but that's just a, an example of the power of uh, of athletics particularly in, in in certain regions to change something that they they have been marching and protesting for for decades, um, but because of the power uh, of sports, and it's, I think it's one of the most under leveraged, underutilized uh, weapons uh, in in the in, you know in the fight for social social justice. And social justice can be it doesn't just it doesn't have to be uh, what the media says is important, what the, right. ma- the mainstream media says is important, but it can be. You know, they can recognize an issue or a problem in their own community mm-hmm. uh, that may not be aligned to what CNN is, CNN headlines are. But we, but through after, but through uh, sports, you can elevate through the platform of sports. A, a particular issue can be elevated and then changed, can be highlighted and then changed. So they don't have to necessarily be policy wonks, but they can. If you, they can put a spotlight on a problem, and then those who we elected. Uh, to, to change the problem you can, can be pressured to actually address it and do something about it. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and as it pertains to, you know, some of the next steps, the beautiful thing about this is, that, is, uh, is, is the geographic spread. And so you have an organizing base all over the country. And so we're, we're focusing, uh, you know, heavily on, on economic empowerment here in Miami because in Miami, the cost of living in terms of rent, in terms of housing, has gone up. I live in Miami. Has gone up more than any other city in the country. Wow. So if you if they if you intend on staying here, then uh, it, 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 there has to be some economic opportunity and pathways pathways created. Yeah. And so it doesn't. And so that and again, sometimes if there's a misalignment between the uh, what what the political and even civil rights elites, I would say, at the national level, deem as important versus what people are actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, if, if something, you know, you know, if as important as, as I'm just giving it, as important as police brutality is, and it is important, uh, if they pass the George Floyd bill, uh, then, and, it, you know, and I, and I agree with it, but that's not going, you know, it's not going to have a, I mean, unless you have a, a actual interaction with a, with a police officer that is, uh, you know, that daily forces involved, it's not going to impact the day-to-day uh, life of, of folks who are out here just trying to pay rent and trying to pay bills and keep a roof over their head. Yeah. Like you know, economic, people forget that the last three years of Dr. King's life, he was focused on economic justice. He was focused on on, uh, on improving the, the, the material and tangible conditions of the masses of America. And so I think that, um, you know, that's, that was, uh, that, that was, one of the things that I that I uh, 
I spoke to the alliance about, you know, I'm glad that they're, they're, you know, they're taking it on, but that, you know, there, there are many issues out there, but I think that uh, continuing about the King's last campaign is one that I think that we can have a heavy, heavy influence, influence on everybody. And that goes from everything from who is getting the contracts to build facilities to who, uh, you know, who is being hired, who is, you know, what kind of pipeline and pathways are being prevented. Yeah. You know, a lot of people can't get into the profession because they can't afford to, like, live on nothing for five years and, you know, pay these, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just to get in. So identifying some of those roadblocks and, and then uh, creating programs and, and, and procedures and policies to help alleviate that and increase uh, equity and opportunity. That's great. What we're looking for. Yeah, no, that's great, Dr. I think that that's that's one of the things that I've always, as a leader, whoever's uh, I hate to say under me, but who's whoever's rolling with me, right? Uh, because to be sure, when you're in the lead and you're a leader and you're in that lead position, people are expecting something from you. Uh, and one of the things I think every leader needs to understand is the more you can remove obstacles for those who follow you, the better. And I think that's what you're talking about is removing obstacles and roadblocks and things that have held people back from pursuing their dream, even not even taking the first step because they've already been told, well, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to, you know, it's just a whole thing that you're not going to be able to overcome unless you got the time or the resources for your mom and dad to help you, which, which is great. If you can do that, if you can start at third base. Great. Good for you. But what we're talking about is people who just need a shot uh, regardless of their, uh, I guess their generational wealth as well. Those are the things that are important because, uh, elevation, man, elevating one another. And that's the importance of the grassroots part of what you're saying is because you're saying, here's the media saying one thing, here's a policy saying one thing, but it's forgetting what's really happening on the ground. And I think when you have people who are on the ground that have a voice and know they have a voice, then policies can be uh, directed towards helping people in a way that specifically impacts them. That doesn't just say, well, that's good for the person next door. That's good for the person who's on TV. That's good for them, but I'm missing out. What do I get out of it? You know, you want me to vote, you want my vote, we gotta earn it. And earning it, it says, you're gonna hear my voice and you're gonna understand my needs and the needs of my community and my people, so. Great stuff, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking everything you're saying and then you're painting, you know, both of y'all are painting a picture of a movement and something that can be sustainable because some of these systems that are in place don't seem to be changing anytime soon. So this thing is going to take, mm-hmm. it's going to run its course. So that's great stuff. Now, Adam, I want to ask you, you know, here again in, in closing, because we've gotten a lot of information and, and I can't wait to share this with our listeners. But Adam, where do you see the future of all this? Where do you see uh, kind of rising coaches, uh, the DEI uh, initiative and alliance? Where do you see this going and how impactful do you think it's going to be long term? Well, like Marcus said, like the, the response from all these universities has been overwhelming. Um, and, you know, this is just, I mean, if you guys could see how we put this thing together, I mean, this was not this highly well-oiled machine mm-hmm. where we had people in every state. I mean, this was like a handful of people stuffing envelopes, sending them to every school in the country, sending out emails. You know, it was, it was, you know, 
like Marcus said, it was grassroots to the T. And to see the, the impact, you know, is just beginning. The, the involvement is, is fantastic. Now we've got our foot in the door. Now everyone's got this on their calendars, uh, you know, as an annual uh, uh, event or campaign. And so now we can really, now that we have the attention and the participation of all these schools, now we can really impact, you know, ramp up the impact that we have, you know, and actually get into these communities. And, and again, it's just the convening power that these schools have is so remarkable. All these big state schools, um, you know, have hundreds of thousands of fans that live and die, you know, their, their school sports. And, you know, when you walk into that arena and the whole theme of the game is, is equality and inclusion, not only are you getting the coaches behind it and the schools behind it, but you're getting like, you know, random Joe Blow who goes to the games, you're forcing them to have to listen to it. And maybe, you know, maybe you impact one or two people and out of a stadium of 10,000. And, and if you can do that, then heck yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the whole idea. Yeah, no, and that... so we're just trying to amplify this this conversation. I think we've done a great job, but in terms of the future, like, oh, we're just scratching the surface. You know, there's so much more that we can do. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about all the time internally is, like, we put together this, you know, I got to shout out Erin Sinnott, um, our director yeah. of operations. She's, she's remarkable and, and has been responsible for a lot of this coming to life. But she put together this media kit which was really just like the purpose of the campaign and the instructions for the schools. And it's amazing. They did everything in the kit, like pretty much everybody, you know, that participated did everything we asked. And so like wow. we, we talked about it. We're like, Hey, we're going to have, we got to ask for more next year because they're doing everything. And so like, we're not asking for enough. Yeah. And so that's kind of our mindset. And so like Marcus said, the stage has been set, you know, the foundation has been laid but like now, now we really have the responsibility to use this and not just have it be something where you put a pin on, but let's really make the impact and, and amplify this conversation on a national stage. Yeah. So you talk about your team, uh, Daryl Jacobs, yourself, Dr. Marcus Bright, uh, Brian Burton, uh, Kim Hampton, your advisory board, Dr. Brandon Martin, Tamika Smith Jones, Stanley Johnson. Uh, Brian, and like you talked about your, your, uh, your group of people who are coming out here and just saying, I don't know where you're headed with this, Adam. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but let's, let's go for it. You know, let's get it done. Katie Young Stout, Mike Harrison, Debbie Spander, Brian Stanchik, you know, these people, you're talking about people who saw a vision, uh, align themselves with that vision and now are seeing certain things come to fruition because every vision that comes into our minds sometimes doesn't flesh itself out the way we had hoped. But it sounds like you, you're a little bit ahead of the, the, the pace maybe that you might have thought you'd be at. So that's great. And also, you know, want to mention here again some of your partner organizations, which I did earlier, but I'll run down all of them because I think for, for this movement, people need to know who all is involved. Uh, here again, Coaches for Change, the Asian Coaches Association, uh, the Women of Color Coaches Network, the Jewish Coaches Association, Equality Coaching Alliance, Minority Coaches Association, Embrace Us, who's done a lot out there, uh, the Latino 
Association of Basketball Coaches, uh, the Black Coaches United, Black Coaches Association, CFA, and uh, Be Ready, the Be Ready group with Alvin Brooks III and all them. You know, here again, groups of coaches, powerful coaches with powerful voices who have a passion to see this space grow and see here again the equality and the equity and the inclusion of people who look just like us uh, to be a part of such a great fraternity and brotherhood and sisterhood and all these things that we kind of look at it as, because that's how it's described, right? When you're in the college coaching world, you know, it's a select group and people that have those dreams and those hopes, those hopes and dreams can't die just after the the thought because somebody told them, yeah, you'll probably never make it. You don't fit the mold. That can't happen. Uh, because I'm 42 years old, I'm still dreaming and I'll still be dreaming till I'm 90 something, hundred years old, whatever it is, right. Till God takes me home. I'll still be dreaming. And I hope other coaches listening will, will as well. So gentlemen, uh, Dr. Bright, any last words before we head out? I just say that I just quote James Brown when he said that I don't need nobody to give me nothing, (laughs) open up the door and I'll get it myself. We're going to try to, we're going to keep doing all that we can to open up doors. Fantastic. Adam, appreciate y'all so much. I really do. This has been wonderful. Uh, Like I said, very impactful. This conversation will continue. I'll do everything I can through the podcast or any other platform that I'm a part of to make sure that we're having these conversations because it benefits me as well. And it it, uh, elevates others who look just like me. Representation, all those things matter to me. Uh, My kids in the future, Uh, If I do my part and we all do our part, uh, maybe we don't reap the benefits directly, but somebody that we love or know will. And so here again, thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much for having me.